0: Identity Talk. I'm your host, Jana Lopez. Thank you for sharing your time with me. My mission is to create deeper conversations with dynamic people from all walks of life about uncovering meaning, about who we are, and how we come to see ourselves. Words and identity are my life. I'm the author of the acclaimed book, Me, My Sophie, and I. I teach online writing workshops called Write About Now and offer one-on-one transformative coaching sessions that break you through to deeper clarity and connection with yourself through a guided process I call See Through Words. When it comes to navigating identity funky junk, it's time for straight talk. Get ready for real stories, real connection, and real hope mixed with humor and a whole lot of love. You're now part of Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. Well, hello and welcome to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. And my guest today is somebody I had met, I want to say, almost 20 five-ish years ago when I was working in radio at a uh, radio station in a city here in the United States. And I was in community affairs. And my guest with me, we're going to call him Bernie. (laughs) He is a police officer. And we were working with that city's police department on a community event with the radio station and the local police department. And so we became acquainted at that time and then got reacquainted like so many people do on Facebook uh, after all these years. And I came to find that Bernie is still in law enforcement. And so now, 30 years later, uh we are here and we're having a conversation and and there is a reason and a story of how how i thought to have uh bernie on and i have to protect his identity of course anybody out there can understand why because we're going to talk about a lot of sensitive things about being in law enforcement and what that means and you know he has to of course protect himself and his Comrades and his police department and you know, he I want him to feel honest with his perspectives on what being a police officer In 2020 actually entails given the complicated navigation of social cultural civil unrest that that we continue to find ourselves in so thank you Bernie for being here with me and having this conversation
1: and Thank you for wanting to have this conversation
0: yeah. So in, in law enforcement in general, as a police officer, I did have a friend who was a police officer once, and he told me that about 95% of the work is conversations. Like you're talking and psychology and trying to get to understand what it is people need or how to problem solve on such a like micro level all the time. Do you find that's true?
1: Oh, Definitely. I mean, I think, You know, you'd be surprised at how many problems, um, well, what people perceive as problems for themselves are resolved by just having someone who's willing to listen. Not necessarily fix anything, but just willing to listen. And that ability to vent or just express their frustrations or desires or whatever, sometimes is enough. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that.
0: And that's probably... Something that is so basic and fundamental On on so many levels just being a human being I would think but particularly in highly charged or dangerous Situations where there's so much involved. It could be a domestic situation It could be a violent situation. It could be a drug-induced situation. It could be uh, You know, I mean, I, I would just imagine that constantly that that is that is probably part of the biggest message of the equation but yet think about it here we are in 2020 who's listening
1: true I mean everybody wants to speak everybody wants it it's like everybody's waiting for an opportunity to talk as opposed to actually actively listening and you know no one's listening to you know, other perspectives, um, other ideas, other concepts, they just are waiting for an opportunity to kind of spout theirs. And what I see a lot of times is, um, people are actually saying the same thing. they are just saying it differently. But if they actually took the time to listen to one another, they'd find out that they actually want the same thing.
0: Can you give me an example of that? Cause I think that's pretty powerful. I mean, you know,
1: you look at, um, What's going on nowadays, Uh, you know, since we're talking about, you know, law enforcement and everything, you look at what people are requesting in regards to defunding of police. Now, when most people talk about that, what they're talking about is basically removing funds away from areas which they believe that police shouldn't respond to. Whether it be mental health situations or things like that. And what you'll find is the vast majority of police officers actually agree because we know that the only thing that we're bringing to that equation when we respond to those calls is ourselves and a gun. You know, um, we don't, in most cases, we don't know this person. They are, I mean, I guess some people think that, oh, well, you're authority or you're an authority figure, so they they may listen to you. Well, not necessarily, you know, and so we're not bringing anything to that table, and so that's a prime example of we're saying the same thing, but because we're not sitting down and listening to one another, we, we can't arrive at that common ground and say, oh, okay, well, wait a minute. Let's find a way to do this then, as opposed to just fighting about what we're saying you know does
0: anybody ask any of your uh, you know colleagues or your force or in general about what it is you don't think you should be involved with as police officers i mean because that's part of what you're saying is there's issues that you don't think police officers should be solving right like there's other means and other ways of addressing those things if i'm hearing you right
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the problem that you get into is the fact that no two scenarios are the same. And so what could appear as just something where a person is having like a mental breakdown Mm -hmm. could actually turn into something where they're all of a sudden assaulting someone or your family hostage. And so because all of these scenarios can be very dynamic it's it's very difficult to just say okay point blank we're not responding to mental health things you know um, so I don't know that anyone necessarily wants to say um take that stance that okay we are not having police respond to this thing you know because they realize that things are pretty dynamic and I don't think anyone wants to be on the hook. For something going sideways.
0: No, I mean, that's a good point, because I think just as society, socially, the way we respond, knee-jerk, opinionated, on Facebook, judge and jury, you know, we don't ever really look at the complexity of what an issue such as defunding the police might even entail or involve. Like, we take the one-line soundbite, that we think we're going to get behind our silo or whatever thought we have without even thinking about it. And what you're saying is, I mean, I would imagine there are no lines even in police work because every situation is dynamic. And the lines between mental health and drug addiction and poverty and crime and racism and inherent you know institutionalized racism and you look at layer after layer after layer i could go up the rung of the ladder and how deep and complicated those things become
1: true true i mean you know they they all intertwine you know um a person suffering from you know a mental break you know that could be a result of feeling marginalized or you know, being in poverty or something like that. And so all those things intertwine and just saying that there is one answer for how to deal with it doesn't really work.
0: Mm-mm. Do you feel like the police officers of today coming into the force, because if you've had 30 years, the, the training... And the engagement and the support you might have gotten might look different today. Is it different or is it just the same thing, a different decade?
1: I mean, I I think that there are some differences. I think that there's been a huge um, attempt to diversify the police departments. And in doing so, um, you're bringing different thoughts you know, in different um, ways to go about handling things, into play. Um, I do believe that you know, obviously there is there is a culture. You know, there is a police culture, and I think that when I first started, you know, there was still this this sense that you had to be tough and you know never let them see you cry and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, whereas today, um, we are dealing with our own emotional. Baggage. We are dealing with um, things that we're bringing to the table with us, along with the things that we're, you know, confronting out in the streets, and so that's allowing us to deal with things different than when I first started.
0: Well, you're saying, I mean, it's two. It's two separate things in some ways because it's the uh, support piece. Uh, that you would need from everything that you see and deal with and respond to on a daily basis. And, you know, let's just stay with that for a minute because that's something I, as a person and as an individual, think about all the time. I think about the stresses of what police officers have to see and the impact of those daily parts of humanity that are less than... Amazing and that are difficult and dark and flawed, and that don't have any real sense or reason to them. And then I think, after month after month, you know, year after year, how do you maintain your own humanity when you see so much of it gone awry? How do you hold on to your own humanity? It's, I always wondered that.
1: Admittedly, that's something that I think I've struggled with because. You know, I, um, I routinely wouldn't talk about things that happened at work, not because I didn't think my family or friends, non-law enforcement friends cared or anything like that, but just because, you know, it allowed me to, the ability to not have to relive it
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, because, especially in the case of something that's pretty violent or something that's, you know, maybe gotten a lot of news coverage there. It's not just gonna stop at what happened. It's they're gonna say, oh, but what about this? And what about that? And, you know, you get to the point where it's like, okay the first question of what happened was, was enough. You know, we needed to stop it there. But now you're diving into, you know more intricate details about this. And for you, it's information for you. It's curiosity for me. You're making me relive it. And that can be very, very difficult because the reality is, is you're one person that's asking about it. I'm going to get asked about it by everyone who knows that I was there. Yeah. And each time you're reliving it a little bit more and more. And um, it can definitely take its toll. But I think that 30 years ago, you kind of just bottled that up and you, you really didn't say anything to anyone because you didn't want to appear weak. You didn't want to have to go to possibly a psychologist and have them say, okay, well, we're going to need to put you on leave or whatever so that, you know, we can deal with your mental health issues. Nowadays, people recognize that you can still function. You can still do your job but that doesn't mean that these things don't affect you. I mean, I had a situation um, several years ago where I went through, uh, ooh, I'd say probably about two, maybe three weeks, and within that three-week time frame, I had three SIDS deaths. Mm. The last one, um, you know, I was in there, nice family you know, nice home, they were doing everything right. But I saw what contributed to the child's death. You know, I had our, our pastor come and talk to them who surprisingly enough ended up being that family's pastor at their church. You know, and I didn't know that at first, but um, this pastor knew me well enough to know that when I excused myself and went outside, it wasn't because I needed to get more information or anything. It was because I was having problems with, with what was going on. And, um, he didn't know that this was my third one in three weeks, but, you know, I just, you know, looked at him and I, you know, just had a little bit of a break, you know, and I think it lasted for maybe about five minutes and I recomposed myself and I went back in and did my job, but it does have an effect, you know, um, Funny thing about that is I want to say like two days later I was driving down the street and there was a guy um, walking with his kid and it was cold outside. He had on a big jacket. His kid had on a very, very flimsy jacket. He waved me down and he was like, Oh, you know, Ken, can you give me a ride? Blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I, I, I gave him a ride. But I also kind of chewed him out and I said, you know, I said, how dare you be out here like this? You're protected, but you got this kid wearing nothing. I said, if anything, I said, I am a father. If anything, you should be walking around in a t-shirt but your, your child should be bundled up. Right. And, um, you know, after I dropped him off, I was like, okay, this has gotten to me because what I remember thinking was, I just dealt with three families that lost children. Each of these families deserved kids and they were going to be great parents and these kids were going to be in great situations. And here you have this guy who really doesn't care, but his kid is walking around doing fine. And it bothered me. And so I was like, okay, I need to take some time off. So I took some time off. Yeah. But the ability to do that, I think, is important. Years ago, I don't think that that, that understanding or that openness was was really there
0: it's important you know that's where i think part of the sacrifice people don't talk about i mean sure you're putting your life on the line you can have a bulletproof vest and go into a dangerous situation and still end up dead right but to me the sacrifice feels more of what you describe it's eroding Mm -hmm. and the chipping away and the sort of Stolen moments of your own humanity and sacrifice to help somebody else get to another place in their own
1: Yeah, I mean and and you're right. I mean when people say thank you for your service or you know things like that um, That's great and everything Um, When they look at the sacrifices and everything appreciate that but like you said they tend to look at big events You know, it's like oh, you know like for the soldier, hey, I hear you went to Vietnam, or you went to the Persian Gulf, thanks for your sacrifice, thanks for all you do. Okay, but maybe that wasn't the traumatic part. Maybe the traumatic part was every day before that, and every day since that, you know, because I'm constantly going through these things, and those things, those are the small things that just kinda constantly add weight to that scale and shifts that balance.
0: And do you feel like there are things that you have sacrificed that you'll never get back in the name of service?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, I've been, you know, in, in 30 years, I've had the, you know, unfortunate situation of being involved in some pretty horrific incidents and I mean, those images never go away.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, those thoughts never go away. You, you know, in a moment of silence, you know, when things are kind of in a lull, those things come back, you know, they come roaring back. Or you could have something that happened 20 years ago. And for 20 years, you haven't thought about it, but you'll walk into a room and there will be something about that room that will automatically flash you back to that situation. You know, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. You don't know what's gonna cause it. And so those things are those things that, like we said earlier, you know, just are continually add weight to that scale and shifts that balance. And I don't think that, I don't think that I can say that I know any officer who has not felt that, you know, or, gone through that. You know, when we sit down and talk, you know, we all talk about incidents. We joke about the things that have happened. Oh, remember when Tom did this, or remember when Pete said that, or when, you know, um, Patricia went over there or whatever. But all of those things are in regards to incidents that happened we're trying to remember the good times, but unfortunately we also have to remember the bad times about those things.
0: Does the moments that you've helped someone or you've gotten somebody to another side of something that could have been life altering, do they, do they offset some of those?
1: Sometimes, you know, unfortunately, you don't always get that feedback you know that you've done something that hopefully has a positive impact on this person. And that um, is like you said, life altering in a positive way, but you don't always hear how it's changed them. You you know, every once in a while you'll get a thank you. I got a call uh, a few years back and it was from a guy who I had helped their son probably 15 years ago and they were now having problems with their younger son. I mean, I didn't even remember the incident until the guy talked to me, talked to me and I started to remember a little bit, but the thing that was hard for me is I knew what I had done for this family, but I didn't know if it had worked or if it had had a positive effect The only way I found out that it did is because now he, 15 years later, he's calling me because he wants help with his younger child. And I was successful with their older child. And I think what people should realize is that we need to be informed. Um, And I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, you need to, contact the department and do, do thank yous or whatever, even though we appreciate those. Um, but if it's if it's having a positive effect, you need to let the officer know because um, that's going to let them one, know that they're on the right path, but two, it's also going to reinforce the reason that we do
0: what we do. Yeah, and I think that's super, super, super important right now because I would imagine on your side of things as a police officer, you get shit from the public, you get shit from the county, you get shit from the city, you know. Everybody puts you guys in the middle of it as if, you know, and especially now, like I have a friend who is involved in the Black Lives Matter Um stuff going on in Portland with the law enforcement being as it is because there's been protests night after night after night after night. And I know there's plenty of police officers who care as much about civil discourse and the right to protest and, you know, I I would just think that the frustration of hearing constant nagging and unhappiness and criticism and blame And, you know, when you're just in the middle of it trying to do your job and serve How do you Mm -hmm. feel about the way The public has responded to law enforcement Given the last couple of years of civil unrest
1: You know, while I understand the frustrations um, It's frustrating that the public has this you know, basically all or none view, they they really believe that this is something that all of us do. You know, um, many of us got into this line of work because we saw problems that we wanted to help change. But instead of protesting, instead of marching and so on and so forth, we recognize that, okay, well, the way to affect change is to get involved and get inside and help change it from within. So that's what we do. But that's what we did. And <clears throat> I think that we are in a much better place than we were 30 years ago when I first started. But there clearly is more work that needs to be done.
0: How many black officers were there at the time when you joined, if you can remember? Because you're, you're in a city that- I want to
1: say a little bit over 1%
0: of my department. Can you imagine that? So you were in that 1% and you were in a system that was inherently institutionalized with racism. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that part of the reason of trying to get in on the inside to invoke change from that perspective or was it more about the community change?
1: For me, it was a little bit of that. It was a little bit of the fact that Growing up, I had always admired police officers. Um, Admittedly, I had had good interactions. I had had, you know, some interactions that weren't that great. But um, at the end of the day, I always said, wow, I admire the fact that ultimately they help people. You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, when you really, really get down to the bare bones of things, they help people. And that's what I wanted to do.
0: Did you experience the racism when you, when you joined? I mean, with 1%, would you say?
1: So I experienced the racism before I joined, <laughs> as far as um, just through the hiring process. Hmm. The department that I'm with, there was no issues, but I had been hired by several departments at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: before I made the choice to go the way that I did. But one department, um, I remember the recruiter was a black female and um, I was one of the you know um, top candidates. And I got a call to come to a meeting in one of the lieutenant's offices. So I did. And um, he wanted to talk to me about something that had happened when I was in the military which was me unfortunately getting into a fight with another service member. And actually it wasn't even a fight more than it was a situation where I tried to walk away from something and um, this person wouldn't allow me. And um, so basically I had to defend myself. Um, but this um, Lieutenant used that as a reason to recommend that I withdraw my application. I didn't understand it. I didn't agree with it because you know I'm, I didn't do anything wrong. Right. You know, um, but I withdrew my application and then, um, I was a couple of days later, I was contacted by the recruiter. She wanted to know what happened and why I had withdrawn. And I explained to her what happened. And she actually said that they had had a lot of problems with black male applicants that were very, very qualified. And this particular Lieutenant calling them into his office and ultimately the candidate would would withdraw. I'm still trying to make sure I secure a job. And she asked if I would be willing to, you know, basically give a statement and everything. And, you know, at that moment I, I couldn't, you know, in retrospect, I wish that I had, Mm -hmm. but I knew that there was a chance that I would, you know, quote unquote blackball myself and maybe not get the position that I wanted.
0: I think that's very, very, very appropriate for so many people of color who are trying to create new avenues for themselves that find themselves in these obstacles and they're faced with these morality questions of, do I just keep going and you know, do what I need to do or do I speak up? And um, that just breaks my heart. That breaks my heart that any human being would have to face. uh such a question or even have to the question even has to be a question. You know, I can't imagine less than one percent. What do you think it is now, if you had to guess?
1: Mm, I think now we're up to maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of about, I'd say probably about 10%, maybe a little That's bit still
0: more. just unbelievable. Yeah.
1: You know, um Now, the thing is, though, to remember is that's specifically speaking of African-American candidates. You know, we still have, you know, Asians, Hispanics, you know, and so on so on as far as, you know, other minorities um, that are present. And, you know, those numbers have gone up also. So I think that while... I would like to see the number of African-Americans higher. I think that just getting an overall more diverse, you know, group period is the important factor.
0: Do you feel that what's happening in this country now and, you know, I don't want to give the caveat, this is not meant to be political because you can't give that caveat anymore. Today in 2020, everything is political. It, it, it just is right. Yeah. So I don't even want to give it the caveat, but given the way things are today from your perspective, do you feel an increased level of, feeling of uncertainty or threat or permission that people who are racist or do feel like they have permission it it feels like it's more it permeates so much more and wider and I just wonder from your point of view being on the streets what people are saying and you know how you as an african-american when you're in officer clothes and when you're not in officer clothes, right? It's two different worlds in some degree. But but I just wonder from your perspective of seeing what you see from the street point of view, how do you, how are people like feeling and responding to to just everything that's happening in race?
1: You know, um and yeah, you're right. It in uniform and out of uniform it is two different worlds. Mm-hmm. But um people definitely feel at least my perception is feel more emboldened to speak the way that they truly feel. And in some cases, I don't know if it's necessarily about speaking the way that they truly feel more than it is about speaking in a way that they know will hurt someone, you know, because, you know, I heard things come from people in the streets mouths that um you know i know that from my experience in dealing with them that they may not have racist views but in a moment of anger Mm -hmm. they may say something to someone that could be considered and is racist because they just want to hurt them
0: that's interesting
1: and um i think that You know, we've just gotten to this weird time where it's like the only person that matters is me. You know, people do not care about the damage that they're doing to other people or the effect that their actions are having on other people. That sense of a a personal accountability is just just really not present.
0: I I think it's probably because of social media too. It feels like the personal accountability thing has gone out the window because people control and say terrible things and hide behind uh, big guy 272, you know, at AOL or whatever. (laughs) You know, they can hide behind some bullshit email address or name. They don't have to sit there and look somebody in the eye say what they want to say in that way maybe that carries over the more they keep doing it online then they get into a public place they feel really pretty confident in themselves (laughs) to be able to say something hurtful
1: yeah i agree i mean i think that this anonymity that social media can grant you is one of the things that's having a big effect on this you know because yeah, maybe initially they were fearful of saying these things, but then after a year or two or three years of saying these things online and getting a whole bunch of likes and thumbs up, you know, all of a sudden now, they're like, oh, okay, well, I'm not the only one. I can speak out. And if someone does do something to me, I know that there's someone else there that's going to defend me or help me. And yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge problem. Um,
0: What else do you think contributes to that?
1: Honestly, uh, just a lack of understanding, you know, um, a lack of understanding and the fact that people seem to feel as though others have to explain themselves to them. You know, um, this whole Karen thing, you know, um, you look at situations where people are stopping people in parking lots or in Central Park, you know, um, and accusing them of things or asking questions of them, which this person doesn't have to give you that information, but you feel as though it's your right responsibility, whatever, to police everything and then when you don't get the response you want all of a sudden you're blowing it up and turning it into something bigger um, right. i think that that just this i guess for lack of putting it a better way people just being nosy and just not staying in their own lane you know mm-hmm. you don't have to know everything you don't have to be in everyone's business
0: i would imagine that you're asked as a police officer over and over and over again to sort of adapt to the social wave of climate and in the last 5 years or so the Karen syndrome or whatever where people have taken their video cameras and you know stopped a guy who's going into his own apartment who has keys you know he's just he's going into his own apartment right and there's some woman in his face the video camera and you know those situations can can escalate, but the idea of community policing at at that level, you know, how has that changed your job? Well, that's
1: you know, that's actually people the people who are who are doing it may think that it's community policing, but it's actually harassment, you know. Um if you are that suspicious about something call 911 you know be the best witness and call 911 but understand that you know not everyone owes you an explanation for what they're doing or, or whatever and and just because you've never seen this person come into this building of over 500 units doesn't mean that they don't belong there you know <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's really interesting because you have people who continually accuse um, police departments of systemic racism.
0: Do you think it's justified?
1: Um, sometimes yes, um, sometimes no. And, you know, a prime example is that I can't tell you how many times I've had to respond to certain areas because someone will call 911 and say, oh, there's a a black man or a Hispanic man walking through the neighborhood, he looks suspicious. And you get there and it's the meter reader or it's the guy delivering the newspapers. And it's this person has been doing the same job for 10, 15 years in that neighborhood, you know, and you drive on them and they, you know, you see them just get this dejected look and their shoulders sink because they know we've been called on them again, you know, and one of the hard things for me is, is in that situation, the accusation is that I'm, Stopping this person because they're black or Hispanic or whatever. when that's not what's happening, what's happening is is I am a tool of this other person's racism, and they get to call me and send me out to do their racist bidding, but I'm the one that's going to get blamed for it because at the end of the day, when the person wants to file a complaint or tells this story to their friends, It's always, oh, the cops stopped me again.
0: I mean, that kind of puts you in double jeopardy as an African-American man and as a police officer. Mm -hmm. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't in some ways. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And
1: I've gotten to the point where, you know, I make notations. I do little things so I can make sure that it's noted that this wasn't my choice to stop this person, you know? Um, and it's funny because also when you go back and you confront that caller, because oftentimes they don't they don't want contact, you know, or they want to remain anonymous. I, I, I don't think police departments should accept anonymous calls, you know, for service. That's just my personal opinion. But um, when you go back and you talk to them, And you're like, yeah, so that's your meter reader who's been coming around for 15 years? Oh, well, no, I've I've seen the meter reader before. Oh, I guess I just never saw or Whatever excuse. Other than the fact that, no, the only reason you pinpointed this person who happens to be in their utility department's uniform, the only reason you've pinpointed them as being suspicious is because they were a person of color. You actually never even looked at what they have on, you know? And so, but they will deny that there's even a slightest bit of racism in their body.
0: Yeah, and you, they can say, oh, I have a black friend. <laughs> or, you know, like they justify it because they don't really even understand the level of inherent racism they have within themselves. Exactly. Um, which, you know, is such a deep, such a deep thing. I think police work is where so much of it comes forward Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're dealing with the public, you're dealing with person to person and that on the street level racism, you're dealing with social racism with movements and culture and politics and policies and now a national sort of overarching uh, permission theme uh allowance whatever the word is that's that's happening on a national level and then they're you know for most people they just want to go home and hug their wife and kiss their children and do their work and uh try to find meaning in their lives so it would just be interesting to be in a job well not interesting that's that's not even the right word it would be um challenging To figure out how on a daily basis to live in those worlds so let me ask you how do you keep and find and discover yourself within that whole crazy context
1: well you know you obviously have to have people that you can talk to that you can kind of you know just kind of open up and express you know, things too, whether that be a counselor or a really good friend or fi- family member, because sometimes, and I would say oftentimes, it's, it's not going to be your significant other, at least in regards to this field. And the reason is, is because when you tell them about, you know, getting involved in a shooting or someone pulled a knife on you or something like that, you are putting a tremendous amount of stress and fear on them. So it's not always going to be your significant other with this field. Now in other fields, you know, Hey, you may be able to go to your spouse and kind of say, Oh, I'm stressed out at work. You know, here, you got to be careful who you, you know, expose to that because the last thing you want is your significant other sitting up at night while you're at work, worried whether you're going to come home, you know, um,
0: Has this affected your marriage?
1: You know, um, so I'm actually divorced, but uh, I don't necessarily think so from the standpoint of um, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I I do know that, you know, there had been times where someone would ask her a question about how do you sleep at night, you know, knowing that he's at work or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember her looking and saying, you know, he never really discusses work. You know, and and that was that was purposeful. There, were, there was a reason for that because of like what I just said, you know, about not wanting to put that fear onto her.
0: But is alcoholism and drug use, would that be part of the way police officers deal with their stress if they don't? talk to their spouses and they don't have counseling I mean is that right. something you've known people to kind of go
1: through I I wouldn't say drug use um because anyone that I've ever known that has been involved in anything like that um you know we we got rid of you know
0: right okay
1: alcohol I think there's definitely some people who drink too much um mm-hmm. uh and you know, I don't. I don't know what else could, you know, whatever ways they could be dealing with that depression or stress or whatever. Um, but I think anything that the average member of society is susceptible to in regards to dealing with that is, is a whole true with us, you know, because I
0: think. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. And because there's more pressure and more stress and least out, le- less outlets to deal with the problems. And there's probably also the ego uh, sort of like you don't want to look like weak in front of your other comrades. So there's probably like the expectation that you just suck it up or whatever. And especially if you're a man and especially if you're African-American and especially if you're, you know, you're police officer. You just add all these layers of things that keep you from you know, the expectation would be so high that you would have to be invincible. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're
1: right. I mean, you don't want to appear weak, you know, um, that can hinder your ability to move to special units you want to go to or potentially advancement or just people even inviting you to squad parties, you know. Um, so, you, there's sometimes, you know, situations where people hold too much stuff in, you know, Mm -hmm. which, like I said, 30 years ago, I think was way more of a problem than it is today. I think today, you know, myself included, I will reach out to someone if I see, you know, something, um, or if I, know i had um you know go back to this whole SIDS thing again several years ago i had a you know a, a co-worker who was responding to a sids death and um i knew that he had just recently had a child and you know i wasn't supposed to respond to the call or whatever um but i did and when i got there i told him even though it was more work for me i told him i said hey man I said, you know, why don't you go ahead and leave? I'll take it. You know, and he was like, oh, no, no, I got it. And he, he's a very jovial person and everything. And um, we went in together and I saw the look on his face change when he saw the yeah. child, you know, and I just put my hand on his shoulder and I said, I got it. You know, and he left. And, you know, it's probably like about, You know, two weeks or so later, he came to me and he, you know, he caught me in the locker room and he said, you know, um, thank you, because um, I didn't really realize that that was affecting me at the moment. He said, but when I saw that, it, you know, it really, it really got to me. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, it happens to all of us. You know, the thing is, is being the weak person is the person who doesn't talk about it and just keeps it bottled inside. The, the strong person is the person who can admit that that those feelings, those emotions, the, that vulnerability and actually seek out help and deal with it. And I said, you know, soul, always be that stronger person and say, you know what? I need help, you know, um, yeah.
0: And what would you say if you would want men to know or other people in law enforcement, or, you know, you said people don't listen enough, we need to listen more, you you know, you've said, ask for help when you realize you're in a bind. Um, but from your perspective, after 30 years of serving the public, seeing some pretty awful things and making a difference for so many people's lives that you haven't even yet heard back, whose lives you've changed, what would you want People to know about staying true to your own humanity?
1: Mm, Well, I mean, you know, it's, it is probably the single most important thing, especially in this line of work. You know, don't succumb to any peer pressure or any perceptions of what you're supposed to be. Um, Be true to yourself, be true to your you know, feelings, emotions, your, um, you know, just, just what makes you, you and do the work from that perspective. And I think you'll always do the right thing. Um, I think that you have to be brave enough to be willing to be you.
0: It's so beautiful. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Um, I wish more people had that.
1: Yeah, it would be nice. I mean, I think that, you know, people, I mean, you know, not trying to get into politics, really, but I mean, you look around and you see people that are jumping on bandwagons. And it's like, okay, what about your ethics, your morality, your humanity? Um, why can't you speak to that as opposed to speaking to this party line? You know, I, that's, that's what I want, you know?
0: Uh, yeah. I, I feel so far away right now, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's so important. You know, I do, I feel it's so important. And as far as like, Finding a way to that truth and being in that truth. I think there was a couple of weeks ago. I reached out to you. I don't. I don't remember what it was. I just asked if you were okay. Yeah. Um,
1: and I appreciated that because that's you know, I think that also sometimes that our friends and family members can assume that we're okay. And I know, especially right now. And there's a lot of officers that I know that are struggling. And and strangely enough, one of the bigger reasons that they're struggling is because in my age group, a lot of officers have children that are like in their late teens, you know, maybe as high as early thirties. Some of these children, I mean, we, we raise our kids to do the right thing, to stand up for people and and all of that. I mean, I've always taught my kids, you know, stand up for what you believe in. Well, the funny thing is, is that now here we are 2020. One of the things that my kids believe in is, you know, everything that people are protesting. So I've spoken to officers that are battling with that and challenged with that because they're like, I got a kid living in my house. That's my child. I'm, I'm a police officer. They're protesting against me, you know? Um, and you have to, you know, I've had this conversation and you know, what I've told them is that, you know, they're not, they're not protesting against you. They're protesting against this, this, um, this systemic racism. They're protesting against violence, unnecessary violence, unnecessary use of force. That's what they're protesting against. That doesn't inherently mean that it's you and your coworkers. And, um, you know, I had to tell one of my friends, I said, you know, don't let this destroy your relationship with your child because you can support the ideology of Black Lives Matter and support law enforcement. You know the two—they're not opposing forces. You know, um, but there's there's been a lot of officers that have have had those challenges of, you know, man, you know, my kid is protesting or doing this, or I'm reading comments on Facebook that were like my my child opposed something about going to a protest. And then the next thing you know, their friends that also knows this child's father is posting, you know, death to cops. All cops are bastards, you know, all this and everything. And these are kids that, hey, I chaperoned their field trip. I've been to their birthday party since they were two years old. You know, they know me. They know what I'm about. And. When they run into these kids, I say, well, no, I don't mean you. But you may not mean me, but to everyone that's reading this message, it is inclusive. It means me and everyone like me. And I, I think that families of law enforcement officers are just really, really struggling right now, trying to figure out how to rectify, you know, supporting both
0: that would be that would be a challenge yeah i mean i think all of that is just so heartbreaking in that where where is the basis of any of all of this where where what is it that we really want what is the commonality where is the love or the compassion and not to be pollyanna but i i think that's what it does come down to it it does come down to what you what you've described and so beautifully um And I will think about your words (laughs) now now today, you know, I think we all need to hear these words. And um, I also heard you say that, you know, for people that are have been helped by anybody in law enforcement, you know, thank them then at that time so they know their service was appreciated or send a card. And I say this all the time. I mean, this is not just with law enforcement. I would say particularly with law enforcement, but the same thing for teachers or doctors, mm-hmm. or if there, has, there have been people that you've been in a crisis or you've needed something in a moment and somebody gave you a hand and helped you, thank them, send a card. I mean, I always send handwritten thank you cards to people who have made a difference in my life, small and big, because I think that's, just simple kindness. But a lot of times people don't know about their impact. And especially like with what I'm doing with some of the writing stuff that I do, I help people sort of dig into some of those traumas or pains to try to connect with themselves in a deeper way. Um, I believe that if we are in touch with who we are and what we want and what you were saying, who what makes us Uniquely ourselves and then we can we can come forward in, in the world in that way and give that back to others right and make it that's sort of that ripple effect I do believe that and Letting people know You care or you're appreciative or letting people know you love them or even yourself Letting yourself know that you love yourself and you appreciate yourself. I mean, I think We we need more of the kindness in in those ways um especially now so i mean yeah, 30 definitely. years 30 years that's a long time you've seen some shit man you've seen some shit
1: unfortunately
0: <laughs> oh i can say thank you thank you for every family whose shoulder you've been there for them to cry on when they've lost their babies and their children and uh the violence and the hatred and the ignorance and the fear and um, being marginalized and the mental health like all those things um, I know are real and um, you know I think it's just about having the the humanity right what does that mean so i'm I'm glad to hear that you've thought that through to the point to where you can sit here and have this conversation with me and and have an understanding of it in a real beautiful way. I appreciate that. Oh
1: yeah. Like I said, I appreciate the conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm just gonna put this out there. It's crazy, but here we are. If any if you ever wanted me to lead or facilitate any type of writing group for your police officers and and people that you know, I mean, they might think it's a little bit wacky or weird, but if you had any like-minded uh, people in your force like yourself, I'd be happy to donate my time and, and help people write through some of these things that they've experienced in a way that could be meaningful for them. Okay, we'll definitely keep that in mind. Yeah, I know. It's, like, it's like, Say what? <laughs> But, oh, no, you know, no. I really want to help people in trauma and who have interesting experiences to to kind of process them in a more meaningful way for them So they can get an understanding of themselves and their own humanity. That's what it is for me hmm No, I totally get it yeah. So for everyone else be sure be kind to your local police officers and say thank you and um, we will continue to stand by and watch this all unfold and, you know, hold our breath and say some prayers and give each other hugs, I suppose. Thanks so much for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I've had a fantastic time. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate and review this show on your favorite podcast player. For questions or comments, reach me at JanaLopez.com. And when you're having a moment of identity doubt, just remember that seeing is relieving.